Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. You know what I'm about to say, two things. Download the app, share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, please follow us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, follow, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Click something that's going to help us out. We'd really appreciate it. Um, and today, this is, we're going to have a great conversation because we're, we're very pleased and honored, honored to be welcoming, welcoming back a friend of the program, Father Boniface Hicks. Um, he has written a new book, The Fruit of Her Womb, 33-day preparation for total consecration to Jesus. Joe Rosinello, I think that's an important topic. How about you? Oh, I, I absolutely do. Mary is the way. So, uh, so yeah, so we're very, very happy to have Father, uh, Father Hicks back. Uh, brief bio, uh, you know, most of you out there know Father Hicks. He's, he's been, been doing a lot of interviews lately. You can see him all over social media, and we'll give him an opportunity to let everyone know where to, where to follow him. Uh, Father Hicks is a Benedictine monk of St. Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He's provided spiritual direction for many. Uh, very many uh, men and women, including married couples, seminarians, uh, consecrated religious and priests, even while completing his PhD in computer science at Penn State University. He's the programming manager and an on-air contributor for We Are One Body Catholic Radio and has recorded thousands of radio programs on theology and the spiritual life. He has extensive experience as a retreat master for laity, consecrated religious and priests. He's the director of spiritual formation for St. Vincent Seminary and director of the Institute for Ministry Formation and has offered numerous courses on the spiritual life. Father Hicks is the co-author, along with Father Thomas Acklin, of the books Spiritual Direction and Personal Prayer. And also he has written on his own through the heart of St. Joseph. Father Boniface Hicks, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks, Joe and Joe. Great to be with you again. Oh, it's always great to have you on. And with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to Joe. We're going to have a great conversation today. Father, would you lead us in prayer before we begin? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your beloved children, whom you love and long for, and to whom you have sent your Son as our Savior. You sent your Son through the womb of Mary. He entered into this world and took human flesh of her and came to be united with us and to save us. Help us also to return to him through her. May she be present. May St. Joseph be present in a special way to us and to all of those who are viewing or listening to this program. And we ask all this through the intercession of Our Lady and through St. Joseph and through their son, Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Well, Father, um, I have to say, speaking personally, I am a big devotee to uh, the Blessed Mother. Um, pray the rosary every night with my wife. We belong to the confraternity of the rosary with the Dominicans in Portland, which basically unites our rosary with the whole world. Um, I pray the rosary on the first Saturday uh, with a group of men. I've been doing that for quite some time. And also, I have done the Louis de Montfort uh, consecration, which is very famous. Um, how did that consecration, I'm sure you're very familiar with it, um, impact you as well as impact this book? Because this is, uh, you know, obviously it's in the same light, but obviously you're a different person. And I'm sure you took it in a different direction. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a convert to the faith. I was raised uh, nothing basically, and uh, went to Penn State, uh, and was an unbaptized atheist. A total stranger invited me to study the Bible with him one on one, and he really introduced me to Jesus. He was an evangelical, um, not anti-Catholic. Really didn't know anything about the Catholic faith, but also didn't know a lot about Our Lady. Um, after quite a bit of time getting to know Jesus. I made a decision to uh, be baptized and made a decision to become Catholic. As I was on my journey into the Catholic faith, uh, I, I was challenged by that group that uh, the, the man was from who, in, who, who studied the Bible with me. Um, somebody else in the group had asked me about you know, Catholics' belief about Mary and things like that, and I really didn't know anything. And uh, he, they said some challenging things, but I, I looked up Carl Keating's Catholicism and Fundamentalism and I didn't really understand what he was saying either, but I was convinced that he knew what he was talking about, and he had good answers to those questions. And so, I uh, I, I carried on my journey into the into the church. But uh, after I after I was baptized, I thought, you know, I know Mary's really important, and I just decided to say a prayer to her. And it would be my my one takeaway. If you could only take away one thing, it would be this: If you want to know Mary more, ask her. Just ask her. She's a real person. She's really alive. And you can have a relationship with her. So I just said to her, Mary, I don't really know you, but I know you're really important and I want to know you more. And that started a journey. About nine months after that, I met uh, a Franciscan of the Renewal. He told me about Louis de Montfort, told me about the total consecration. I was in a vocation discernment group at Penn State, and the whole group of us decided to do the 33-day consecration according to the, the, the little booklet that's... Uh, um, anyway, it's got uh, some different readings and things like that, but it's the Louis de Montfort structure for the consecration. And then a couple months after that, uh, really everything broke open in my relationship with Our Lady. She became very present, very real to me as I entered the, uh, the monastery. I became a Benedictine at that time and developed a very warm and tender relationship with her. But I really attribute it back to that first prayer, just telling her I wanted to know her more. And then the opportunity to dive into that, actively seeking her through the consecration, and then kind of a grace that flowed out of that, which was really coming to know her in a very personal way. So, um, so that's a, kind of my personal journey with the uh, de Montfort consecration. And basically that little booklet, so de Montfort didn't actually provide specific readings or even a, a whole set of specific prayers. There are some booklets that have been become popular, but he really just provided a structure a time of emptying ourselves of the world, getting to know ourselves, getting to know Mary, getting to know Jesus. And so as I uh, became, uh, this is a number of years after what I just shared with you, I, I entered the monastery, I was ordained a priest, I eventually became the spiritual director for St. Vincent's Seminary, and I wanted to share the Marian consecration with the seminarians. 
Um, but I was really dissatisfied. I, I tried a couple of different ones, and I just felt like either it was a, it was sort of too many prayers, or the readings were a little bit shallow, or and I you know I had men who are ready for something meaty and who really wanted to dive into a relationship with Our Lady, and I I just decided to compose my own, and I, I wrote it really for them with as the initial audience, and uh, it also flowed out of my own work uh, at We Are One Body Radio. I uh, we broadcast a lot of papal teaching, a lot of the saints, and so I had a lot of things at my fingertips that had been very moving for me, and I kind of brought out my greatest hits, you might say, and arranged them in the the 33 day structure, and so so I followed De Montfort's structure, and and certainly really appreciate his love for Our Lady, and that's really the origin of Marian consecration. He's the one that that promoted, and then. Uh, it got lost for a hundred years, but the Lord wanted it enough that he brought it back up and shared it with the world. And and uh, so I really appreciate what Father Michael Gately did, for example, is 33 days to morning glory. But he doesn't follow De Montfort's structure. Uh, he has the 33 days, but it's not the different weeks. And I really wanted something that, that held to De Montfort's structure, but then was kind of filled out with some uh, language that's accessible. You know, it's uh, Pope's John Paul, Benedict, Francis, Saints, uh, Francis, St. Francis, St. Therese, St. Faustina, these, I wanted to take the real rich writings of some of these uh, authoritative teachers and, and share them with people and, and lead them into a deeper relationship with Our Lady. Father Boniface Six is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello, the fruit of her womb, 33-day preparation for total consecration to Jesus. Now, Father... It, it sounds like this book is a retreat. Um, it, it would be like going on retreat. Um, would you would you say uh, would you say that it's like that? I mean, obviously, you go on retreat. You want to you want to deepen your faith. You want to learn something. Uh, that's pretty much what this book does. Would you would you characterize it that way? Yeah, the uh, it might be a retreat in daily life. So uh, you know, the the each day is made up of readings and prayers that shouldn't take more than about ten minutes. And so in that sense, it's not meant to be a, a huge uh, time sink, and it's spread out over 33 days. And so it's going to be a steady application with a particular movement. It's not just sort of random thing. There's a, there's a development to it that follows Louis de Montfort's structure. And so I, I guess I would consider it like a retreat in daily life. It's a way that's going to open up um, those who, who uh, enter into it to an encounter with God in a daily way and and hopefully allow those graces to kind of seep in um, steadily, gently over that over that uh, little over a month time period. Absolutely. Joe Rosanello. Well, I, I want to talk about something you said uh, earlier. You basically said, just ask Mary. I, I mean, that's so basic, but I think that's just the key. I mean, you're a very learned person. You have a PhD. You pray a lot. You're a monk. And you broke it down very simply, a way that everyone can basically operate on that level. And I, I, I'm i a firm believer in this, and I've said this on the show time and time again. To overcomplicate the faith is not the way. Mary was a simple person, and your approach is simple. It's simple, and I don't mean that in, in, in like an insulting way. Simple is good. Jesus was simple. He was a simple guy. You know, I sometimes think that sometimes when I pray the rosary, I say to myself when I'm meditating on the nativity, here you have three working class people in the middle of nowhere walking across the desert. And 
And the greatest minds maybe in history have written all this stuff about the most simple people doing the most simple things. And you brought, broke it down. Just ask her. That's all we have to do. Simple stuff, simple requests. Our lady loves us and she'll respond. Talk about that because I think expand on that because that invitation is something everyone can do and it will bear tremendous fruit. No, you're you're so right, Joe. And and uh, I'd like to offer a couple of things around that. But uh, first of all, just reemphasize what you said. It doesn't have to be complicated. And and it's one of the beautiful things. You know, our, our faith is for everyone. It's not just for PhDs, or it's not just for uh, you know blue collar workers. It's for everyone. It's for both. It it has a lot of intellectual richness, and it has a, a real immediate uh, accessibility. Uh, our, our faith is personal, ultimately, and it's it's about heart speaking to heart. Every one of us has one of those, and every one of us can learn to speak from the heart. Um, I, I I make a, a particular focus in this consecration, also towards the dimension of littleness. You know, it's something that Saint Therese made especially popular: uh, the little way and the way of childlike faith. And it's what Jesus commanded, actually. He said, unless you become like this child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So he made it an absolute requirement that we are able to get in touch with our childlikeness, our need for a father and a mother. And Jesus gave us his own uh, human father and mother. He wasn't, of course, conceived by St. Joseph, but uh, St. Joseph was his father for all of the ways we normally speak about fathers. He's the one who raised him and provided for him and really formed him in his humanity from a masculine perspective. But uh, Jesus entrusted to us his own father and mother so that we could really grow in our, our littleness, that we could be cared for, that we could have a home to live in, that we would have a father and a mother who could hear the cry of our hearts and, and that could uh, help us to, to grow in trust and not be ashamed that we're limited. Um, you know, you mentioned one dimension of that across uh, intellectualism or being able to have, I don't know, read complicated things or get big degrees or something like that. Um, but all of us are limited in a variety of ways. And that's one of the ways we feel childlikeness. Sometimes we have shame around that because we've been shamed for our limitations. But childlikeness with limitation, knowing that we have a loving father and mother actually becomes freeing. We know that we are unconditionally loved in our childlike littleness. And, and so uh, the fruit of her womb is really the invitation to be as little as a, an infant in the womb that uh, Louis de Montfort said, and he was quoting St. Augustine, that we're all baptized into the womb of Mary until we're born into eternal life. And so there's this invitation to be with Jesus in the womb, to be that little. And so when we run into our limitations, when we run into, we think these things are too big, they're too lofty, they're too complicated, they're, I don't understand them then you're in the womb of Mary. You're feeling your littleness and you are profoundly loved. So that's a that's a line that I take through the, the whole consecration to really make that shift. Louis de Montfort focuses more on slavery. I just think you can't do that in America without all of the negative connotations corrupting our, our thought structures. You know, there's nothing wrong with it theologically, but it just uh, experientially kind of gets us mixed up inside. But with no loss to that, there's even more radically surrendered than a slave is an infant in the womb. But an infant in the womb is profoundly loved. We feel the embrace of, of having a, a mother who really cares for us. So just to uh, reemphasize what you said, Joe, that, uh, that this 
path of consecration, as you get into the readings, is going to lead you into a path of littleness that's accessible to everyone. Not all of us are capable of being great in any particular dimension. All of us are little and, and little children and can be loved. And then just a quick second point. One of the beautiful things, I actually, I had prepared this consecration on the web and uh, a, a sister I was working with prepared, uh, found a lot of images. I actually didn't realize Sophia was going to print all of the images. So the book itself is filled 34 different images of Our Lady and the Child Jesus that are beautiful. And I would say, you know, if you did nothing other than just look at an image each day, and, and let yourself be little and loved the way that Jesus is in the arms of Mary, as you see in those images, that will lead you into a, a beautiful relationship with Our Lady. Father Boniface Six is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Father, let me ask you a question. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, put you on the spot or be controversial in any way, but it, I want your opinion on this. I want to get Sola Scriptura on you for one second, okay? Um, at the wedding feast at Cana, Jesus is sitting right there, okay, right there. He was in, they could see him. And yet the guest, the, 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 the host, went to Mary to ask her to ask Jesus for wine, okay, because they didn't have any wine. What's the stumbling block in your opinion, Father? Again, because we love our Protestant brothers and sisters, our evangelical brothers and sisters, okay, we do. Um, what's the stumbling block? Because it seems so plain to me. And I can mention however many things you pick, you can pick out of Scripture. My soul magnifies the Lord and all these, all these, the Magnificat and all of it, right? What's What in your mind is the stumbling block? What's preventing people from having the not being fearful of having a relationship with Mary? Because that takes nothing away from Jesus. It only adds to the relationship. Tell me where I'm wrong, Father. <laughs> you're, you're so right, Joe. And I, if I can, uh, uh, w what you said could be true, but it's actually, it may not be exactly, uh, the, the scripture is a little bit unclear. It just says that Mary, Mary just took her initiative to go to Jesus. Now the servants are there and it's possible there was an intervention. But so I just want to add to what you're saying. She's actually already interceding for us, even when we don't know her. She's already looking out for us. She's already taking care of us. And, and to make that relationship explicit only adds, right? It only adds to our experience. So, so yeah, what's the, what's the stumbling block? I, I think the stumbling block is, um, well, there, there have been things that have been put up. You know, there's a kind of uh, animosity between religious denominations, which is, which is unfortunate in its own way. And there's a Kind of triumphalism, and we have to own our own stuff in this too. I mean, Catholics, whatever we've we've had our own problems throughout history, and we have our own problems today. So, but we, there, you know, there's some tensions that are there, and then it builds up a kind of culture, and a, a lot of Protestants, without actually thinking about it very much, just kind of say the same lines over and over again that you know we don't go to Mary, we go to Jesus alone. Catholics go to Mary. It's not good to go. They're just kind of saying things without thinking about it, but. Just exactly what you said, Joe, is such a nice open door for us to think about that. Mary's already noticing. She's a woman, and women have a, tend to have a sensitivity that notices when something is missing, notices when something is going wrong. And what does she do? Does she shame? Does she blame? Does she absent herself? No, she goes to Jesus. She intercedes for us. She cares for us. She, she loves us, and she wants us to know him. She wants us to, she wants us to love him as much as she loves him. And, and he wants us to love her as much as he loves her. And, mm. and we only grow as we enter into these, these relationships. And so, but I, I think the, uh, you know, some of the cultural, there's a lot of baggage 
that uh, that is just uh, that's that's I, not scriptural. I agree. I, I mean, and that's the thing. I, I think if if we cut through some of the baggage. Okay, like you say, like a lot of and Catholics are guilty of this too. It's always knee jerk, knee jerk. Why don't you think about it? Try to understand, perhaps where someone else on their journey has come to their conclusions. Have a conversation, a civil dialogue. There's no need to be at each other's throats. There's just way too much of that. That's why everybody needs to go out and buy your book, all right, so that they can ask Our Lady to calm us down a little bit, okay, um, you know, with our differences, and try to just. Talk to one another. Talk to one another as, as, as brothers and sisters. The book is The Fruit of Her Womb, 33-day preparation for total consecration to Jesus, the author who's with us today, Father Boniface Six. Father, real quick, we'll mention it a couple times. Uh, where could our audience members buy the book? Uh, it's published by Sophia Institute Press, and their website is sophiainstitute.org. And then you can go right there if you just type in slash the fruit of her womb, all one word. But sophiainstitute.org will will get you uh, will will get you access to the book in the way that that provides uh, the least money to Amazon. Let let me say it that way. Nice. And more, father, you're more speaking my to, language, Father. <laughs> <laughs> more money to Sophia and to my religious order. So that's right. That's there, right. I'm grateful. And we always emphasize on this show, like, you know, like if you got your Amazon list, all right, we'll give you we'll give you a little bit of a pass. <laughs> but but primarily we want people to support not just our Catholic authors, OK, but also those who are publishing those works. I mean, because obviously the publishers are very, very important. Joe, Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? Well, I've been involved in catechetical work for some time, and I used to lead a Bible study, and I used to talk about emptying yourself. And how I used to describe it to people was God can't, even God can't fill a glass with milk if it's filled with water to the brim. It's impossible. You have to dump the water out, and then he could fill it to the top with milk. Now, that's easier said than done. I, I kind of use that as an analogy of ourselves. We're full of ourselves. And in order for the spirit to fill us, we have to empty ourselves. How do we do that in the world? Now, you know, as a father, you know, and as a husband, I, I and I, I fail every day. Um, I try. I pray about it. Uh, I, I always say every morning, help me to embrace my white martyrdom of self-sacrificial living. Easier said than done. Uh, talk about that because. You know, we're different, as in me and you, we have a different life, but we're both trying to empty ourselves. And your book goes into that. And I think that's vital because, again, you can't fill yourself with God, whether you're a priest or you're a layperson, if you're full of yourself. We got to empty ourselves, but that's not, that's not easy. <laughs> and your book talks <laughs> about that. Tell us. Yeah, the, uh, Thanks for for setting that up. I uh, it's a it's a beautiful point that is so important for us in in all of the ways that you described, and that's a it's a really rich image. Get the other stuff out of the way, and I would say so. Water to milk is a kind of a neutral thing. At least water is not bad for you, but it's uh it's it's more like uh you know uh, bad for you stuff, uh, whatever that is, uh, some kind of sugar water or maybe even something that has some poison in it coca-cola needs to be empty out <laughs> well, i didn't want to name any names but that's all right that's all right <laughs> so yeah so emptying out and and louis de montfort had this insight he said really even before 
you know, the consecration, properly speaking, that Louis de Montfort provides is three weeks, knowledge of self, knowledge of Mary, knowledge of Jesus. But he said, we actually need another 12 days ahead of that to empty ourselves of what he says, the spirit of the world. And so if I can uh, talk about that specifically, Joe, uh, to talk about how we take in the spirit of the world. We have the spirit of the world in us. And what does that mean? Well, it's it's doing things in a worldly way, according to worldly logic. What's worldly logic? It's the logic of power. It's the logic of consumption. It's the logic of accumulation. It's the, it's the logic of, you know, a kind of capitalism that spreads into every area of life where I'm better if I have more stuff, if I have a bigger bank account, if I have more salary, if I have more trophies on the wall. It's this kind of, this, this uh, attitude of, of collection, of accumulation. Um, those are just some examples. Uh, an attitude of self-sufficiency, that I don't need anyone for anything, and I, I want to do everything for myself. So these are not the attitude of God. And when we're filled up with this kind of view, the view of the world, that worldliness, then we don't have room for uh, what you were just describing, Joe, which is self-emptying love, self-sacrificing love. I don't have time for uh, you don't have time for your wife and your children if you're so busy grasping after indulgences, pleasures, entertainments, or if you're grasping after successes and money and power. You don't have time for love. The the world, the, the view of the gospel, Jesus, of course, comes to reveal to us none of those things. He, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's a homeless man, basically, for those three years of his public ministry. He doesn't have any money. He's a poor man. He doesn't have any power. He's, he's in fact, ultimately uh, arrested and crucified by the powers of this world. He empties himself of all of the things that we often grasp at every day. And so in the first 12 days, those are precisely the things that I press into. And um, you, you said a little bit earlier, Joe, you know, it's uh, the approach is simple, and you were talking especially the approach of just to asking Mary, I want to know you. That's simple. Now, the readings that I picked out, <clears throat> of course, the scripture readings have their own kind of density in the way that scripture does. But for the whole first 12 days, I pulled from a couple of homilies of Benedict XVI. Now, he is one of the most brilliant theologians, as as you both know. Uh, and yet, there's, he has a way of, of expressing things, to put his finger on those human dynamics and name those, those movements of the heart. And he talks in one homily about the poison of original sin that makes us think that God is trying to keep something from us that we need for our happiness, that he's trying to withhold something from us that ultimately we have to take for ourselves, that God is in some way a, 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 a competitor with us. And, and it, it has a way of exposing, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have said that about God. I know theology well enough, but I kind of act that way. Like I have to keep something for myself. I have to keep a little room for myself. I can't trust God with everything. If I empty myself out, there'll be nothing left. Those kinds of thought processes get in us. And that first 12 days is meant to sort of expose that stuff in our hearts. Father Boniface Hicks, I'm we're going to take a break, but I'm remi I'm reminded of something because I get I get very angry. Like if people want to argue with, with 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 the Catholic faith, all right, with, with Catholics about our faith, whether they're atheist or whatever the case might be, fine. But but be fair. At least at least state what we actually believe. And you reminded me of something, and I want to impart this to the audience too, all right? Because you just mentioned you know God taking something from us. And, they, and people always mention, yeah, he's such an authoritarian. He told them, don't eat of that tree. Right, he did. But he told them, eat of everything else. 
And it was a rather <laughs> large garden. Okay. I wish people would get it through their head. God takes nothing from us. Why? I, I, you know who, you know who put it best? Uh, Father, uh, Bishop, Bishop Barron, uh, I thought gave a great analogy when he talked about, there's no beauty without rules. And he, uh, he made the analogy to baseball. You know, it's chaos. It, it, without rules, without foul lines, a pitcher's mound, a, 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 a home plate, an outfield fence, there's no beauty there. It's chaos. When you have rules, when you have some restrictions and boundaries, then you could thrive. Then you could flourish. People need to get that through their heads. That's my little rant, Father Hicks. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are being joined, as I said, by Father Boniface Hicks. We're discussing his new book, The Fruit of Her Womb, 33-Day Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus. Now stick around with us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network because we have another great segment with Father Hicks. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, and we are way in the breach with Father Boniface Hicks, and we are discussing his new book, The Fruit of Her Womb, 33-Day Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus. Joe Racinello. Father, I want to explore a little deeper uh, about emptying ourselves, especially of, you mentioned, like, the spirit of the world, because as adults, all of us, I mean— we become jaded. You mentioned a lot of things like, you know, we're in the world. We're, we've been disappointed. I mean, I am incredibly cynical. I listen to things. What does this person actually mean? Meaning like when like politicians or this, what's the underlying like message here? Because clearly it's not what they're saying. That's how I think, sadly. And that's not the thinking of a child. Like, I look at my children. I'll share with you, like, some observations. My son, Frank, watches TV. He sees a commercial. He's like, Dad, we have to get that. That's really great. He means it. <clears throat> I'm like, Frank, you know, not everything on that television is, is real. You know, it's not going to do what it does. But he believes it. Another thing, which is from a spiritual perspective, it actually amazes me. My son, Mateo, who's five, when I pick up my other children, there's an adoration chapel. When he goes into it, I take him in there. He tells me he loves me. Like, like it stuns me, actually. Like, it's like he recognizes something that I don't, actually. Because children believe it. They believe it. You tell them something, they believe it. We're not like that. We're just not. And we have to believe the scripture. I pray about this in the glorious mysteries. The first one, Jesus said, I resurrected from the dead. No one believed him. Not even his 12 guys. They didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. But Mary did. She did. She said, you, cause you said so. How could she help us to be like that? Because we don't operate under those terms. Kids do. You tell a kid something, they believe it. I don't. I'm like, well, what, what did he really mean? What did he really mean? His own guys didn't even see it that way. I'm going to resurrect from the dead. They saw all his miracles. They're like, went right over their head. 
How does Mary help us to have that childlike belief? Because to be honest with you, she took him at his word. We don't. Wow, what a beautiful insight. Yeah, you're so right. She's, uh, that's, it's part of the consequence of her immaculate conception. Um, I forget who said it. Uh, maybe Fulton Sheen or something like that. Mary was younger than sin. <laughs> and there's a kind of innocence to her that precedes all of the betrayal. The disappointment. I mean, why why is it that your children believe? I mean, that it, it to one degree it's a credit to you as a father. You haven't disappointed them so much, uh, and and the world has not yet disappointed them so much that they have some fundamental trust structures that are still intact. But as you said, we often get jaded because we do get let down. We get disappointed, betrayed by uh, things that promises that people made, things that people said things that we were sold uh, when we were sold a bill of goods. And, and so how do we heal from that? And um, <clears throat> sometimes it's, it's one of the points that I make in the introduction to the fruit of her womb actually is what I was saying a little earlier that Jesus gave us his own mother and father. All of us had parents who were sinners, who were limited, who were, who were broken in different ways. And there were moments in our lives when we really needed uh, an embrace. We really needed a promise that was faithful. We really needed a word of encouragement or affirmation, and it wasn't there. Um, our parents may have even been very loving people, but they couldn't be there all the time. And sometimes we carry those wounds. Sometimes we can put a finger on some of those experiences in our life. And and one of the ways we can heal from that is to go back into those wombs, wounds in prayer and allow Joseph if we needed a father or Mary, if we needed a mother to love us in those places, what would they have said? What would Mary have said to us in that moment when the kids were beating us up on the playground and then just left us bruised and bloody behind? And we had all these feelings like I'm worthless. I need to be stronger. I don't know how to fight back. And it's all my fault. What would Mary have said to us in that moment? And can we get in touch with that pain in ourselves and allow her to speak those words to us? That's one of the ways that we can uh, recover a little bit of that innocence. But another way is just like you said, to look at her, to look at her innocence, her openness. Uh, and that wasn't, uh, you know, your children are innocent because they haven't been betrayed yet. <laughs> they're just, uh, they're naive in that sense. It's it's too young. Uh, and, and so they haven't been hurt in some of the ways that all of us are. Our Lady hurt, but she never let go of her innocence. She never let go of her trusting heart. She never let go of her belief in the Father. And so we can look at that, too. We can find her in the mysteries of the rosary, and we can see how she accompanied her son, how she continued to trust in the face of rejection and harshness that she experienced uh, her son receiving from Pharisees, from religious powers, from the, the governmental powers, even in the face of his passion. And even in his death, she never stopped believing. And so we can draw a lot of strength from that, just looking at her, looking at her face, her eyes, and looking into her heart and asking her for that grace to uh, to share that grace as well. No, absolutely. Father Hicks is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, the fruit of her womb, 33-day preparation for total consecration to Jesus. It's one thing you mentioned earlier, Father Hicks, about uh, self-knowledge. Mary knew who she was. Mary knew who she was. She was the handmaid of the Lord. The modern world scoffs at that, okay? I always think in my mind, how would I put that, okay? Like, like who am I? I think of Jude, and Jude, I, I believe uh, in his first line, he, he, he describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Again, the modern sensibility 
doesn't doesn't process that. Okay, in other words, to be a to be a handmaid of the Lord, who now who then becomes the queen of heaven, all right, or to to or or a slave of Jesus Christ who becomes totally free and a saint in heaven. I mean, it's, it's one thing about the faith that it, to me it, it, it's just the, the way the Catholic faith contradicts the the world. Okay, the, uh, it to me is the re one of the main reasons why I why I'm Catholic, because to me I say to myself. I see how the world operates, and it stinks, to be honest with you. And the church contradicts that. Mary contradicts that, okay, when we act Christ-like or childlike, all right, not childish, but childlike, as you were describing, and trusting in the Lord. No, that's when we're elevated, all right? And then when we can rise above the world and, dare I say, change the world. Uh, your comments on that, Father? Yeah, and the— uh... That, that week of self-knowledge in de Montfort's structure is especially oriented at, at looking towards our, our own uh, limitations, our own failures, and so uh, and, and then trying to open up some virtue in our lives and then discover who we are as beloved children of God called to holiness. So we are, we are so little, and yet we're called to such great things. And that's, uh, that's hard to hard to imagine and and as you're just saying you know it takes a, it takes a real risk to live christianity you know i mean that's uh that's the truth it's it's uh it's a real risk to be childlike it's a real risk to be vulnerable in this world it's a real risk to believe you know i mean i believe in the resurrection prove it to me well i can't prove it i, I you can't disprove it either by the way but i can't prove it it's an article of faith i believe it and and i can make that ascent of faith as as John Henry Newman really agonized to describe what that is and what that, how that unfolds in our life, but, but it's a real risk to be Christian. And and are we willing to throw in our lot with Mary? Are we willing to throw in our lot uh, with her as we come before Jesus? Are we willing to trust in Him to save us and to raise us up? And uh, are are we willing to live this out? So, uh, so understanding some of those movements of the human heart, some of the ways that we're called to a real virtuous life and even to holiness. Every one of us is called to be a saint to holiness. And it's like, are you really going to believe that? I mean, there are so many things around us that tell us it's not true. There are so many things around us that are yelling and screaming that it's, you know, this is ridiculous, and how can you waste your time? And uh, and there's, you know, lots of sin that members of the church have committed, and lots of scandal, and lots of other things that make us also want to just turn away and give up on this whole thing. But but Our Lady lived through that scandal, too. You know, she remained faithful when the whole college of cardinals abandoned Jesus. You know, the whole, the whole body of bishops abandoned Jesus, and Our Lady remained there, and John came back, thanks be to God. And, but it was uh, uh, several women, and, and then John uh, at the foot of the cross, and there wasn't much left of the church at that point. But she remained, and, and she can really help us to remain and, and to believe in him. I wish I I pray that people realize that when they think of let's say the church and obviously things that have gone on in the last several decades, I wish people would understand what you just said, Father. Like we, Joe and I, try to emphasize it, emphasize it on the show. His uh, the the early church, the episcopate, right? <laughs> Peter be Peter denied him, Judas betrayed him. They all ran away. Even the beloved disciple ran away. This is nothing. There is nothing new under the sun here. There's no new scandal that you could come that that could, that could enter into the church. It was there from the beginning, and Jesus told us it would be there from the beginning. He said, "Leave the wheat, leave the weeds with the wheat. I'll take care of it later." 
All right, I'll take care of it later on. Our job is to have faith, as you mentioned, Father. Uh, Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? I'm going to talk about self-knowledge a little bit more um, with regard to confession, because I believe that that is the key. For me, it has been. I go to confession maybe twice a month. Um, I'll go tomorrow. And I'm not, like, I don't kill people, you know what I mean? But, like, I do sin. Um, and to be honest with you, it, it, it could be humiliating, actually, particularly some, I'll be honest, some of the things that come out of my mouth, you know, sometimes when I'm, like, impatient with my kids or, like, impatient, tired. It, and, and to say that, why do I say that? I actually think in acknowledging that, that is my road to God. Like people don't want to go there, but I think that's vital. And it opens you up to understanding who you are because we all have weaknesses. We all have our favorite sins. What I mean by that stuff we just do because we're weak in that area. I might be strong in one area that you're not strong in. And I might think it's easy. Like Ted Williams was a great hitter. He, If you said like, how do you do that? He's like, it's easy. I, I just can see the ball and I hit it, you'd be like, it's impossible. Well, self-knowledge, we all have our little weakness. You go to confession, but then God touches that with grace and we grow, but we're afraid to be basically vulnerable in that confessional. I mean, you go, you, you know, you, you, you sit in the confession box, you probably heard everything, uh, but people don't want to go there. It's in going there that we grow. And we know who we are. And in knowing who we are, we know who we're not. We're not God. And that's the road to heaven for everybody, for everybody, no matter who you are. And to grow in holiness because holiness is in ours. God gives it to us. Talk about that because I think that's, for me, that's the key to self-knowledge. Yeah. No, it's very well said, Joe. Thanks for for expressing all that. Yeah, ultimately we're made for a communion of love. God is himself a communion of love. And if we're self-sufficient, if we don't need anyone for anything, if we just stuff away all of our limitations, which can even become humiliating, shameful behaviors, if we try to stuff it all away and we close ourselves off from anyone, from everyone, and we just hide ourselves, then that that's ultimately what we call hell. It's total separation from everyone, and we're absolutely alone. And so the only way the only way to live out what we were made for, holiness is about being in communion with God. But we're only in communion with Him if we know that we need Him and that we have a, that we can have a relationship with Him. And so we have to take the risk of letting Him see us. And this is precisely what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve went against what He said. They felt shame. They felt unworthy of love, and they hid themselves. Now, fortunately, God doesn't leave us there, and he seeks out after us, but they had to make a journey, and we are still making that journey of exposing our, our weaknesses, our failures, our sins to him for him to heal. Um, I really like the work of uh, Brene Brown, and she has some nice definitions that shame is feeling unworthy of love and belonging. And she says, if you put shame in a Petri dish, It'll grow exponentially with secrecy, silence, and judgment, but it is completely eradicated by vulnerability. And when we can be vulnerable and the confessional provides us that opportunity, it creates the most secure environment where there's absolute confidentiality, 
The, the, the outcome is absolution, God's reconciliation, and it just takes the courage to expose those places in our hearts, which you said can be humiliating or shameful. And the result is that we feel healed and connected and reconnected to God. And so it's a, it's a profound thing. And as you uh, can certainly witness to Joe from regular confession, we get to know our own patterns. Uh, you know, we're all kind of going into the same thing. But most people who go to confession regularly will say, uh, I'm just here saying the same things. And sometimes they'll kind of apologize for that. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad you're not inventing new sins. I mean, great that you have like a limited set that you're drawing from. That's that's great. But, you know, just keep you uh, stay focused on those. That's <laughs> you right. Know, don't don't so, answer them. You stay focused that's right. on those. Yeah, keep reducing frequency. But anyway, you know, it's like don't add to them. So so it becomes a, a very beautiful path of self-knowledge. I likewise say, you know, I, I go to pedant services, of course, and I hear people who often are confessing once or twice a year. And sometimes, especially older people will say, you know, I don't really know what I did. And I'll say, well, it sounds a little counterintuitive, but if you went to confession more often, you'd actually have deeper insight into where those places are that we limit love in our lives. That's a it's another way to say it, but maybe it's more tasteful. But we're limiting love in our lives. That's what sin does. That's what our uh, the and and that's what Louis de Montfort wants to open up in our hearts. Is where are the places in our hearts that we're limiting our ability to receive love, and uh, that's what we need before we go into knowledge of Mary and knowledge of Jesus. No, absolutely. Father Hicks is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Basillo, Joe Resinello, we're way in the breach. Please go out and buy his book, The Fruit of Her Womb, 33-Day Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus. Father, you and Joe were just talking about confession, the need for confession. Obviously, that restores our relationship with God, makes it right. Um, it, it requires humility, which, as we were talking about Our Lady, um, she is the paragon of humility all right we could all, all learn from for her from her many things but certainly humility um but let me ask you this do we look for escape routes i believe that you use that phrase in the book um and uh we wanted to talk to you about that why well first of all are there escape routes and why do we look for them if there are <laughs> yeah i think we try to escape from relationship we try to escape from vulnerability we try to escape from uh feeling out of control and we we escape back into the uh the, the security of uh, of our own self-sufficiency we we hide like adam in the garden we cover ourselves we we escape from from being in those uh loving relationships and uh, and it's related to what uh, Joe Resinello was talking about earlier. You know, children start out very open and trusting, and steadily we shut down because we get hurt and betrayed. And so rather than continuing to get hurt, we find ways to escape from from relationship with God. And so, yeah, we want to uh, find out where's the where's the way in your life? You know, maybe you numb out and and that's that could be uh, just watching television. It could be. Uh, binging uh, on food. It could be pornography or alcohol. There are a lot of different ways that we numb out, that we escape, try to escape the pain of uh, uh, and the vulnerability, the risk of actually showing up in our limitations. Um, sometimes we escape into work or we escape into just, uh, just avoidance and, and denial. We escape in a lot of different ways from showing up in life and being in relationship with God and with others. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Father. Joe Rossinello. Um, 
basically I read this in preparing for this uh, interview. It said, suffering and difficulties point to the hope and the final victory that await us all. No one wants to suffer, but it's a part of all of our lives. Everyone suffers. Um, in the moment when something happens to me, uh, could be something like the dryer breaks. And and like, now what do we do? You know, we have like loads of clothes. And I'm like, why? Why? You know, Um what I try to do, and I and you talk about this in the book, and I'm very interested in what you do. Um, I try to think of what a nun told me a long time ago. Everything comes from the hand of God. Now, in the moment, I'm not buying that, but it helps me maybe the next day to accept it, that God permitted this for a greater good to teach me something. Uh, could be a million things. How do we look at suffering in the proper way. You talk about that in this book. Um, I think that's vital because that applies to everybody. Yeah, the suffering and difficulty, the very fact that we talk about it as suffering uh, means that we feel it's not right. <laughs> it's not what should be. Why do we have any idea what should be? What, what is that? What's the flip side of this suffering? Why do we have a sense that things ought to be good or that things could be better? Uh, well, that's something that God placed in our hearts. He made suffering feel bad. <laughs> Thus, we know that's not the path forward, and that's not ultimately what we're meant for. And and so uh, the, the flip side of that, to be able to look at the negative image of suffering, is to start to get a little glimpse of the, the vision of heaven. And so that gives us a, a reason for hope that this suffering doesn't last forever. The cross has an end to it. The resurrection doesn't. And the, the suffering of Jesus has an end to it. The resurrection doesn't. And so we can also look with faith at our own suffering and say, it has an end to it. But heaven doesn't. The resurrection doesn't. Love doesn't. And so we can follow that pathway. Our Lady helps us with that. The sorrows of Mary help us to see the way that her sufferings, and uh, those are sufferings particularly of the heart. Of course, Jesus also had sufferings of the flesh, of his body being beaten and crucified, but all of the suffering, the internal and the external, the, the sufferings of the heart and the sufferings of the body, they all have an end, and they point us beyond. We know that we're not made for this, and we couldn't endure it. We couldn't endure endless suffering, uh, well, anyway, in our in our bodies, and so we, we look for ways that there must be a path out of this, and you provided one important one, Joe, in saying that uh, all of it comes from the hand of God, and and, and so that's a way of understanding that somewhere in the suffering, it's already laced with hope, we could say, because God is good and he works all things to the good. And so there must be a way that he's working this to the good. And as you say, it can be hard to embrace that in the moment when our, our minds are, are throbbing and our brains aren't thinking or we're not working well. But, uh, but after the fact, as we try to understand what was happening there, we sometimes can, can make that act of faith. Like Our Lady had to do over and over again and say, the hand of God is in this. And, and I can trust that God is present. And in some way, I don't fully understand. Maybe I just have a hint of it. But I believe God is working all this to the good. Father Hicks, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, let me let me let me preface it with something, all right. And I promise I won't get you in any kind of trouble. I promise, okay. But but I am I am genuinely curious about this because Joe and I talk about this on the show all the time. We love our country. We're Americans. We were born here, okay. And we love our country. We want what's best for our country and our people. All right. Now in Mexico, about 500 years ago, 
there was a pretty the, the, the Mexicans, we call them the Aztecs, were pretty depraved. OK, I, I think right now, I think you could safely say in America, American culture is, is fairly depraved. All right. And the Jesuits were there for a while. The Spanish were there for, for a, a decent amount of time, not really making any converts. But then Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego. And within 10 years, the entire country of Mexico converted to the Catholic Church. In your opinion, are we, because in, in this country, people are looking for political messiahs when you have one party that's feckless and another party that's psychotic, okay? So neither, there are no messiahs coming there. And now we know that as Catholics. Is America due for, or would you hope that America will have a Guadalupe, Guadalupe kind of moment where the mother of God will be dispatched to America to help us turn this ship around because it's in desperate need of being turned around. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. It's a, it's a great, I, I love the connection and, and I love for our listeners just to take in what you said and to really uh, take that to heart. And let's all pray for that. I mean, is there any reason that it couldn't work that way or that Our Lady couldn't show up, that we couldn't have a massive turnaround? No, there's no reason we couldn't have that. And so let's let's pray for that. Let's hope for that. We should never give in to a kind of despondency that says, oh, it's it could never turn around, as if the, the mechanisms, the machines of this country were bigger than God. Not at all. And, and Our Lady, in her beautiful way, uh, can, can easily break through all of that. So I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful vision. Um, if, if I can make it worse, uh, <laughs> you, Go ahead. You, talked about, you talked about the Aztecs. You know, the reason that they could have that massive turnaround with Our Lady of Guadalupe showing up is they actually had enough uh, belief in God in a in a transcendent reality that when Mary came wearing all of the symbols of the Aztecs uh, gods that they were looking for and believed in, they were able to see everything fulfilled in her. I don't even know what that would mean in America. We, we're in some ways worse than the Aztecs because we're godless. It's so godless that we, we the, the only transcendence we believe in is the is the almighty dollar, you know, and and. Uh, the political process. So, in some ways, I'd be, I'd be even uh, more surprised. I, I would, have, I would have a harder time imagining even what that would be. But not that I could have imagined it in, in Mexico 500 years ago either. And that's why, thank God, he's smarter than I am, <laughs> and he can come up with things <laughs> that I surely can't. But it would be, it would be marvelous. And you know, I'll just say, uh, um, let me just throw this out there. There's a. There's an evangelization movement called Encounter Ministries, and it's uh, an example of, of a kind of movement that really is turning to signs and wonders. They do evangelization and pray for miraculous healings. And I, you know, I have a friend who prayed with a woman who had been wheelchair bound for 37 years and she got up and walked, you know, so like real miracles are happening through intercession and part of evangelization. I kind of wonder if that's not the thing that really needs to happen, that that we take our faith seriously enough that we start doing miracles. And that has a way of cutting through all of the enlightenment attitudes and power politics and everything else of the world. But anyway, God is big enough and, and we should be available, ready to do whatever he wants. Or maybe it's a Lord's or a Fatima that brings forth lots of miraculous healings. And, and we see those and just start letting go of the worldly powers and entrusting ourselves to, to Jesus through Mary. No, absolutely, Father Boniface Hicks. Uh, this has been a great, unfortunately, Father, this is radio and we have time limits. Uh, this has been a great conversation. The fruit of her womb, 33-day preparation for total consecration to Jesus. There's a great place to start. 
If you want to change things, Joe Resinello says all the time on the show, you want to change things once you start in your own house. Why don't you, are we praying? Are you guys talked about confession? We talked that we didn't get enough time to really talk about the rosary as much as we we would have wanted to. Okay, but start there. Start there. You'll 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 have an impact. Perhaps God will answer our prayers and God will dispatch his mom to come and straighten our problems out. I think that's the first and foremost thing we should do, because quite frankly, again, one more time, if you're looking to the culture, if you're looking to society, you're not going to be much there for you. Father, uh, we have about 30 seconds left. Uh, final thoughts for our audience and where folks could buy the book. Uh, SophiaInstitute.org slash The Fruit of Her Womb will get you to the book. And I'd say it's a great companion for exactly the reasons you just said, Joe, that prayer. Prayer is going to do more than anything else. And and uh, the book will lead you deeper in prayer, closer to Our Lady. Father Boniface Hicks, we're so happy that you're out there. We're so blessed that you're out there, that you're you're preaching, you're writing, you're all over the place. You are you are an asset to us all, and we're not just saying that because you happen to be our friends. Um, and we just we love talking to you. So thank you, Father Hicks. We really appreciate not just your book, but your encouragement. We really do. Thanks, Joe and Joe. Great to be out there with you, and uh, so glad that you're out there as well. Thank you, Father, and thank you all out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And wherever you see Joe and I on social media, please like, subscribe, share, hit a button that's going to help us. Whatever you could do would be greatly appreciated. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.